0: and that's what climate change is about it is literally not figuratively a clear and present danger
1: we are in the beginning of a mass extinction
2: the ability of co2 to do the heavy work of creating a climate catastrophe is almost nil at this point the
0: price of oil has been artificially elevated to the point of insanity that's
2: not how you power A modern industrial system. The ultimate goal of this renewable energy, you know, plan is to reach the exact same point that we're at now. You know who's tried that? Germany. Seven straight days of no wind for Germany. Uh, Their factories are shutting down.
1: They really do act like weather didn't happen prior to, like, 1910. Today is Friday.
0: It is indeed Friday, and welcome to number 67 of Climate Change Roundtable. And you know, because it's Friday, interesting thing, Greta has lost her ability to protest, at least on one place. Yes, climate activist Greta Thunberg won't be school striking after graduation, but vows to still protest. Too bad. Anyway, we've got our usual suspects with us today, Linnea Lucan and Sterling Burnett, Thank you for joining us. Um, it's uh, Friday, and we've got a chock full, feature packed, super rich show for everybody. Hi, guys. Hello. <sighs> so, <laughs> no comments, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing too much. I just can't Alrighty. think. Of this girl I, isn't I, in the news anymore.
2: I think it's worth yeah. pointing out that she was she was a twenty year old high school graduate. Uh, I, I I don't know how many people stick around for 20 years, you know, to, don't graduate until they're 20, but uh, she's, uh, you know, she gets invited to the halls of Congress to testify. It only took her two extra or three extra oh, years daddy. to graduate.
0: <laughs> oh, well. So anyway, at least that we won't hear about that story anymore. I'm sure she'll make herself, try to make herself relevant in other protests. But I think she's fast becoming the munchkin that was. Anyway, so speaking of munchkins and climate and so forth, there's another thing going on in Montana. There's a climate trial, basically, a bunch of kids versus the state of Montana saying that uh, they're trying to use uh, set precedent. You know, it's like, well, they've tried this in like six or seven other states, you know, trying to sue the state. you know, to say the state is harming them because they're not doing enough to save the climate. You know, like it's the state's responsibility to save the whole globe or something crazy like that. And as I recall, in these other six or seven incidents, the state courts and the Supreme Court of the state just struck them down as being irrelevant. Guys, what do you think about this? Is this a lost cause or is there going to get one that sticks?
1: Well, Montana's
2: unique. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just gonna uh, give a little background. Um, this has already occurred in Utah. They had a similar, you know, there were a couple other states with the most recent one was in Utah, and a judge dismissed it because you can't, I mean, they found that the um, the whole case I'm pulling up the text real quick here. Um, sorry about that. Sorry for the dead air here. Uh, well, I can't, I do not see the part where it says exactly what the judge had said, but basically they found that, um, this group that was represented by a group called our children's trust, um, which is a group that does nothing, but try to get groups of kids to sue states over climate change stuff, did exactly the same thing. They said that, uh, the state's development of fossil fuel, infrastructure violates their civil rights and poses a threat to their very lives. And, uh, they have basically said, you can't say this, uh, you can't prove that there are any constitutionally protected, you know, claims that are being violated here. Um, it's just moot basically
2: from state state after state, Oregon, Alaska, Utah. Um, they've tried this, Sometimes it's been constitutional challenges because they, they, they claim they have a right to uh, to edu- uh, to life and this guaranteed by the Constitution and some other things. Courts have routinely struck them down either because they said they didn't have standing they weren't particularized they, they couldn't identify particularized particularized harms. Say that three <laughs> times fast uh, but I will say this now Montana, uh, may be a bellwether, and that's because actually, in Montana's constitution, they say there is a right to a healthy environment. Uh. It's the only constitution I know of that has a right to a healthy environment, and so, uh, they may have a claim there against the state. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically saying the state by allowing or permitting fossil fuel drilling is violating their constitutional right to a healthy environment. Now they'll have to make the case. Uh, but you but Montana is unique in that it does have that provision in the in, in its constitution, which may make it problematic there. But they have lost every place they've, they've been so far. And it's interesting uh, Montana's governor just signed a law that specifically prohibited um, the state agencies from taking climate change into account, when making permitting decisions or environmental ana- or demanding environmental analyses of major projects, infrastructure projects, oil and gas development, so the state itself has said we're not going to account for climate change, while they're being sued. Um, so it, 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 it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there. But but Montana is a little a, a bit of an outlier.
0: Yeah, so, you know, hopefully if, uh, well, if they win this thing, maybe uh, maybe the courts will send them to the Dutton Ranch to live out, you know, a healthy lifestyle in Montana, right?
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: right.
2: Well, <laughs> if, if the kids are right, then there is no healthy lifestyle in Montana, so maybe they send them to Wyoming or something. I don't know. Yeah,
1: if Montana's about to become unlivable because of climate change. <laughs> <laughs> right
2: yeah right see that's the problem is they they may have a right under the constitution to i forget what the wording actually is but it is like uh, a healthy clean environment something like that i I forget the actual wording but Mm. they'd have they'd have to show i mean in the end it's not enough to say you're threatening my constitutional right you have to show that it's actually doing it that the permitting is destroying their futures and i don't think that's a claim that they can make especially they can make the
0: claim whether they can win it or not another another question i I meant
2: i meant make out in court yeah i suspect they can't make it especially since i suspect they're all going to be showing up in fossil fuel powered vehicles at the courts when they make their arguments
0: yeah yeah okay so that's The front side of madness this week. Greta can't protest at school anymore because she's graduating at 20 and the Montana climate kids are trying yet again to make climate an issue. But the real craziness this week is centering around El Nino. Yes, indeedy, folks. El Nino is back. The National Weather Service has issued an El Nino alert. It's there. It's happening. It's real. Oh, no. And of course... You know, the the weather service, when they put out their bulletin, they put it out in a factual, mostly factual basis. But of course, lots of folks are spinning this into all kinds of things. Now, we have a nice graphic that shows the current state of the Pacific Ocean. There it is. You can see the El Nino, that big red streak coming from the west coast of South America all the way stretching across the Pacific. It's going to get bigger and bigger, and it's going to change the character of weather through much of the world, because uh, the Pacific Ocean and its temperature is the big kahuna of determining weather and climate on earth, next to the sun anyway. So what's happening now is that we've got the predictable doomsday predictions coming out of the media. You know, the the media is talking about uh, record warming. Um, They're talking about new temperature records and extreme weather. So, You know, this is going to be the usual hype that we've seen before. I mean, you know, they were saying the same thing about La Nina. La Nina is going to bring destruction. And now El Nino is going to bring destruction. Basically, it's destruction 24-7 throughout the media. They just don't seem to be able to get off of this uh, disaster porn. That's,
2: you know, that's why I've long claimed it's not science. If it's if it's hotter than normal, it's climate change. If it's colder than normal, it's climate change. If there's more hurricanes, it's climate change. There are fewer hurricanes, it's climate change. Uh, you know, you, you can't pin down, you, you can't make a prediction because any, any result, they're going to blame on climate change. And the interesting thing about this El Nino, so they've been warming, they've been warning about this now for two months. They've been talking about El Nino. And one of the things that they consistently warned about in these discussions is that it looks like because of where ocean temperatures are, uh, they will push temperatures past the 1.5 degree uh, uh, temperature range that we were supposed to prevent, uh, you know, at all costs uh, from happening under the, the uh, Paris Climate Agreement. Now, you know, Linnea has said before, are they stopped talking about tipping points. I don't think they have stopped talking about tipping points. Uh, they, they certainly haven't t- stopped talking about 1.5 degrees being a disaster And yet if they are right and I heard I saw today that there's indications that the that it's already reached now 1.5 degrees just with the onset of El Nino, we have now surpassed what we were supposed to prevent with Paris. eight years on, it's happened folks the world is going to end. We didn't <laughs> we didn't. Prevent 1.5 degrees. We're headed towards two, which was way too high because 1.5 degrees was too high. And I say to you, uh, loyal watchers, look out your window. Do do you see fire raining from the sky? Do you see four horsemen on the apocalypse? Do you see, you know, uh, my point is the world didn't end. We're at 1.5 degrees. They said it would be too late if we reached there. That we had to stop that and yet now all this time they've been talking about el nino well okay 1.5 degrees doesn't care whether it's caused by el nino or climate change it's still 1.5 degrees my suspicion is that now that we've reached it they'll stop talking about el nino altogether or it'll only be an afterthought ah climate we've reached the 1.5 degree threshold i don't know how they're going to play it because we've reached it and the world's not ended, but will they still keep talking about El Nino or will they downplay El Nino as a role in it, a factor in it, despite the fact that for two months now they've said it's coming and it's likely to push us over 1.5 degrees?
0: I I think the media outlets that have a modicum of uh, integrity left will still talk about El Nino, but the other places, you know, like The Guardian and Grist and so forth, they'll just run with it. You know, it's climate change, it's climate change, oh no, we're at the end of the world and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they're going to talk about record warming and they'll push El Nino to the side, most likely in most cases, because it gets them where they want to be. We're at the highest point ever in temperature. It's doom right on the horizon. It's going to turbocharge extreme weather, hottest year on record. All of these things are going to be linked more to climate change than they are El Nino. El Nino is just a tool for them to make a point.
2: I'm a, I'm I'm puzzled, Anthony. You said something that puzzled me. You said, no. you said the media outlets that still have a modicum of decency are integrity, they, integrity. Yeah. Which which media outlets are those? I, I haven't discovered those recently. Sorry, joking. <laughs> you know, you have a good point there. I can't think of one right now.
1: Oh wait, wait, wait. the
2: Heartland Institute. The Heartland oh, yeah, Institute.
1: Climate Realism. uh, uh, Realism.com. That's yeah, the one. but
2: <laughs> I, I guess I guess we're a media outlet. I don't know. But uh, Heartland Daily News. That's a news, that's a news source. But uh, yeah, now uh, I, I liked it because all those all those uh, headlines that you put up there, Anthony, the all the ones you gathered, they all said El Nino in temperature, El Nino in temperature. I want to see. In the months ahead, how long El Nino is featured in those headlines when they talk about. it? Right.
0: Well, what we can do is we can revisit this topic in a few months and we can compare headlines in the same outlets and see what they're doing. That would be a good show all by itself. Um, You know, they're talking about economic destruction coming from El Nino, you know. Um, Well, gosh, this has happened before. Uh, You know, weather creates uh, severe weather, creates destruction. It happens every year all around the globe in hundreds of places. It's not anything new. And yes, sometimes El Nino enhances that. But it's not climate change that's enhancing this. But, you know, we'll see what they say in a few months if they, uh, you know, throw El Nino under the bus and make it all about climate change.
1: Oh, they are yeah, saying they're- the exact same thing this time of year, last year, for La Nina. Yeah. They were saying that climate change is juicing la nina it's making it worse than it's ever been before it's amplified you know we're having all this rain and flash flooding and stuff because of it they're gonna say the same thing for el nino it's it's they say that what climate change does is it amplifies the effects of previously existing cycles which obviously there's there's no way for them to back that up but
2: yeah, I want to see how they handle El Nino and La Nina and the Pacific Decadal Oscillation and the Atlantic Decadal Oscillation and the Indian Bipole, Indian Ocean Bipole and all of those in the climate models because they don't account for those things in the climate models. They can't model them. And so it's hard for them to say it exacerbates or what, what was the term you used, Linnea? Amplifies. It, uh, amplifies. It's hard to say that since they don't even know how these things work and can't model them.
1: I'd think that if it was hard to say it, that they wouldn't say it. But they say it all the time, so they—they they <laughs> clearly don't I'm have sure. very much of a problem with saying it. Yeah, yeah, it's—it's
2: it's hard, to, to honestly represent that claim. <laughs> Correct. That's, that's different yeah. than mouthing the words. Yeah, I agree with you.
0: All righty. So, you know, let's start looking at some facts. We've got a, a sheet here from Climate at a Glance called Facts About El Nino, El Nino and Global Warming Together. Okay, so this is a picture here of the last really super El Nino uh, that happened. And and, you you can see that red streak going across uh, the Pacific Ocean, that was uh, from 2015. That warmed the globe significantly. And interestingly enough, it's been cooling since then. It's now cooler across the globe than 2015. If climate change was accelerating warming, what's up with that? Anyway, um, so you can see that big red streak going across the ocean there. But some interesting points further on in the article tell us that, you know, this has been going on for years and years. And if you look at the removal of El Nino from the trend in climate, and Dr. Roy Spencer did this, you know, he, he took it out, you know. And it doesn't, the El Nino doesn't make any difference in the climate. It really doesn't. It's an event that happens you know, maybe for a year, and we'll get a spike, and we might get a bit of a bump in the whole global temperature, just a little bit, but then it starts cooling off, just like it has from 2015 to present, and so uh, the the cycle that's going to happen with this is, this year's El Nino is going to boost us to a new record high, never before seen in the history of mankind, and then they're going to wail and scream about that, and then they're going to go quiet when the temperature starts dropping after that.
2: Yeah, eight eight years of no warming, eight years of of cooling or stasis, another another hiatus after a 15-year hiatus previously for the last El Nino. Uh, And uh, like you say, uh, oh, it's a new record. It's a new record. And, uh, you know, El Nino is dropping it. Right. Linnea, you've been
0: out on the golf Where temperatures get pretty warm, would you say that the ocean there, the Gulf Coast, or not the Gulf Coast, but the Gulf waters, are the main influence in the air temperature that you experienced when you were out on these rigs? Uh,
1: I I don't know if I would be able to say anything about that because I didn't get to touch the water temperature. um, Although many days I thought about it. Uh, (laughs) The the, uh, but yeah no it was crazy I I. Honestly, did not expect it to be that hot out in the middle of the ocean. I'd, I don't know why I didn't expect it. I kind of thought there would be some kind of a cooling effect. No, <laughs> no, well, it was like you know 120 it, degrees on the metal decks of the boat. So I was about to
2: say it didn't help that you were sitting on a metal deck, absorbing yeah. <laughs> heat. Uh, that 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 could have had something to do with it, right?
1: Those uh, those AC units that they put in our little units were screaming all day and <laughs> they were just dripping condensation all over our computers and our paperwork all day. It was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's what happens when you're in a high humidity environment and the temperature's up, you know it's really hard to cool things down because the humidity itself stores so much extra heat in the atmosphere.
2: You know, um, you said something, Anthony, you said, the they'll say it's the worst temperature in all of human history, as if we've been recording temperatures for all of human history. Right.
0: Well, you know, we don't have thermometers past about 1750. I mean, the very first crude thermometers started, started showing up about then. We've got some temperatures back then, but uh, you know, just they were hit and miss, so sporadic
2: got- placement, and 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 probably more primitive devices that weren't as accurate. But in the end, they, they are going to say exactly what you said that it, in all of human history or in the past 15,000 years or whatever. You know, when I first started doing this climate change work uh, longer ago than I care to admit, um, I was told that it was the warmest century in human history in all time. And then they started hedging their bets because people pointed out like, well, you know, it, it's, it's it's not, uh, it, we had this little, these little ages called uh, the, the dinosaurs, and it was warmer there, and they said, oh yeah, okay, it's the last, it's the warmest the last 20,000 years, and then it was the la- warmest in the last 10,000 years, and then, you know, every every two or three years, they'd revise it downward, till it was the warmest in the last 2,000 years, right, and they'd have the charts that showed 2,000 years, well, humans were doing pretty good, you know, we we came out of an ice age about Twelve thousand years ago. So what was going on before the two thousand years? And it, and it was warmer then, <laughs> what, what, uh, you know, what, what's the cause and what's the complaint now? We didn't die then, so uh, it, it's just they have no idea how warm it was, what the actual temperature was, beyond very recently. I'm not even talking the 1700s because it was so sporadic then. Uh, the proxy data is not a tenth of a degree data or not a degree data. It's very general. And uh, so basically all these claims, they're just making them up.
1: Well, They can, the amazing- pick, they
2: can pick any time period. They can pick any right. time period because they're just making it up.
1: Um, a lot of what I've seen on Twitter recently, people have been uh, kind of making fun of the Brits for their heat wave um because they're you know sweltering killing us heat wave is something in the mid 70s to maybe 80 degrees and uh which is funny to us in the united states and a lot of people have pointed out that the united the majority of the united states are more in line with like spain and morocco than great britain great britain is closer to like just maine or up into canada Mm -hmm. um and, and when you think about it that way, and then you think about all of the panic over warming, and I was just reviewing um, one of Sterling's climate realism posts about uh, growing grapes for wine in Canada. And I'm thinking, you know, we often mention that they grew grapes for wine of the same varietals that they use in the south of France and in Italy today uh, in Great Britain. Um, during the time of the Romans and so Roman
0: warm period. Yeah.
1: So to, so to then go and say, you know, this is the warmest time in human history, even since just then, you know, 2000, 2500 years ago, just any, any minor, you know, surface level knowledge of history would show you that that's probably not the case. You know, we might not have had thermometers back then, but we know what kind of climates, something like a grape would like and if the romans are bringing grapes over to you know great britain which is more in line with maine than it is with uh you know even washington state doesn't work the fact check false doesn't check out
2: you know what we call 80 degrees in texas a mild spring or fall yep true
1: you know
0: interestingly enough i I can't remember where i saw it, but this is like maybe a decade ago, I saw an article where someone was claiming that the Roman warm period was caused by the Romans themselves, you know, because they were smelting lead for their piping system. And, you know, they were making concrete, you know, which (laughs) is CO2 intensive and all this other stuff. And and they were trying to blame the Romans for the Roman warm period. You know, it's just mind boggling the lengths these people will go to.
2: Well, if so, one more thing to thank the Romans for, right? Because that's when they were the the uh, the, the uh, Vikings were were settling, uh, setting up permanent. Yeah, there you go. There
0: it is.
1: Han Dynasty. You know, uh, I, this. I wonder if they mention in here um, during the time period that Marco Polo was in China, they actually were using natural gas to light fires and to uh keep small like pilot lights burning for them to use as cooking fuel uh over there in china in some places because it was just seeping out of the ground and they would capture it somehow and use it and they were like wow this is amazing this is like the fires at delphi um and they didn't you know they didn't quite know how to describe what it was that was happening but i'm sure that that was contributing to warming as well
0: Oh, no. Right. And was, then the fall of the Roman was... Empire. The fall of the Roman Empire got cold after that, right? So it's perfect correlation, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Cold and, and deadly, by the way. Not not, yeah. not not cold and better for us. Cold and deadlier for us. As far as the Han Dynasty. So they're using natural gas. In the end, what they were doing was they were saving us from climate change, right? Because they were burning methane that was seeping to the atmosphere and converting it to CO2, which is not as powerful a gas. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the carbon emissions are burning pitch for warfare. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. So the, the, the common theme um, with all of these warming stories uh, that's coming up is going to be tipping point. You know, the one point five degrees centigrade tipping point. We've hit the tipping point and, you know, everything's going to go sideways after the tipping point. And and that's going to be one of the things they're talking about, because they arbitrarily set in the Paris agreement. This 1.5 degrees centigrade tipping point. Now we have a climate at a glance piece talking about the 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, and if you go a little further down in the article, you'll see that uh, you know it's just basically a claim pulled out of nowhere. But climate alarmists and the IPCC say we need to limit to 1.5 degrees centigrade, um, but it's just not something that you can get your head around because it's not something not something that you can you can uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words here Sterling help me out um, it's it just being pulled out of thin air basically okay so down here if you look at this European graph right down here, there it is this is the, the temperature record of Europe right and if you look over there over on the, the far left hand side, comparing it to today, you can see we've already reached, at least in Europe since then, 1.5 degrees centigrade of warming. It's already happened, and yet
2: Europe is still there. What's up with that? Well, and also it conveniently, you know, th- that little time slice there conveniently starts in the middle of a little ice age, right? If they went, yep. if it went back another 700 years you'd be in the roman warm period or or a few more years and you'd be in the medieval warm period uh it's it's interesting when they uh they often pick their time periods very conveniently i've been dealing with this arctic ice for uh, a couple of weeks now and uh they always show the arctic ice decline since the the since the Nader. uh Oh my gosh! It was it. It really dipped bad, and they don't show you that the Arctic ice was probably at its peak for the century, the ten or fifteen years before that. In fact, we didn't uh, have any good records, unfortunately. Earlier in the century, um, the evidence from shipping is that it was it was as low then as it is now. Yeah, but they don't like to look at
0: history. You know that's the What's a common. Th- problem with the media and climate alarmists today they do not want to look at history what they want to look at is model projections they want to look to the future and they want to make the future scary so that you'll you know do what they say and that is reduce your carbon footprint reduce your travel reduce your meat consumption you know reduce your heating and cooling in your home all these things are going to be necessary to save the planet from the dangerous tipping point that's going to be the mantra, We're
2: and, not, gonna, like, and not liking history. They're they're like high school students, right? What what can we learn from history? Oh, history. Oh, let's not. I wish I didn't have to take history. Uh, we can't learn nothing from that. That what, How does that apply to real life today?
1: That, that's how yeah. they act like.
2: That's what they act like.
0: Yeah, I bet Linnea studied history.
1: Yeah. Well, not in college, but on my own. So good enough. Yeah. No, I love history.
2: It's one of my best subjects.
0: Yeah. So we have a climate realism article called media regurgitates ipc's final warming on climate change without realizing we've already passed 1.5 degrees centigrade yes the media is just running with it they don't want to look at the past because gosh math is hard and history is hard we don't want to do that but looking at this article here it's the same thing i just said we've already got there we already got there looking at the temperature over the past you know a couple hundred years uh, unfortunately, we don't have temperatures all the way back to the time of Christ. We don't have thermometers back then. But you know, I'll tell you what, if there were a time machine available to me, I would go put thermometers in the past, doggone it, that's what I would do, to make sure that we had some reference for the future. But we can't do that. And so, you know, every time a climate alarm is talked about tipping point, you should also tell them, look at history, look at the Roman warm period, look at the medieval warm period, you know, Look at what happened when we came out of the ice ages. All of these dramatic changes in temperature that occurred long before people started driving SUVs, we had coal-fired power plants, or natural gas-fired power plants, or whatever the blame of the day is. These things all happened well before humans had any emission uh, footprint of any kind.
1: Well, you know, except for the Romans and their concrete.
0: Yeah. Right, Roman from the concrete. I will say that, that Roman me. concrete yeah. is still around. It's very good stuff.
2: Lead smelting, lead smelting, and steel steel production for yeah uh, for swords. I guess iron. <laughs> I don't think they had steel. I think they used iron swords.
0: Yeah. Oh no! Mm. Time is running out. When is this from? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. mm
2: Hmm. Well, it, it, that was when they were trying to get us to sign, I think, a, a climate treaty. Uh, I think the meetings were in in, in Holland or the Netherlands or something. They said, if we don't sign a treaty now, it'll be too late. And we didn't is get it, it signed. And Is uh, it yeah. me
1: or when I was in high school, were they telling us that if we got to 400 parts per million, that it would be the end? That's yeah, you. I seem to remember Look, that being no, in my textbook.
2: That's, that's you because... I never heard the words parts per million when I was in high school. <laughs> I took I took chemistry, biology, I didn't take physics. Uh, but the words parts per million never graced my uh my education. So uh that was just you. The only the, only the only thing I remember out. from
0: that era is the Wendy's commercial, parts is parts. <laughs> remember that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah right uh, that was the that was the run right after where's the beef,
0: yeah exactly, and you know that that kind of that where's the beef that really is kind of what we can say about climate change today I mean literally where's the beef where's the mass destruction where's the where's the fifty million climate refugees that the u n told us were going to happen in two thousand and five you know where are the mass extinctions you know where are the where are the all of these claims that they've prison. made where is it?
2: Where the 200 million people that Paul Ehrlich told us would starve in sub-Saharan Africa in the seventies? Where is the water that was supposed to already have risen to, uh, I forget which street they predicted in New York city and, and as a permanent level where you're right. Where are all these things? Where's the end of snow? Ask the well, people in the West, whether we got the end of snow.
1: Yeah. Well, at least in terms of the um, refugee thing, they they can really split hairs on that claim, right? Because they can call anything a climate refugee. We talk about that all the time at Climate Realism. Every time they move people off of a barrier uh, island like that's thirty feet wide that they have a couple of nice stilt houses on, they have to drag them off of there because the tide has taken most of the land away. They call it climate refugees. Uh, yeah, you know, as, anytime as that there is a weather to, opposed- disaster. As opposed to
2: climate hostages or (laughs) kidnapping.
1: Yeah. Every time that there's any kind of a weather disaster that makes people have to leave their homes, they're calling it climate refugees. So they can, they really, I mean, they can define it any way they want. It's totally unfalsifiable, just like their entire theory.
2: If concern about climate change had been an issue back in the 30s when the TVA was damming all the rivers in Tennessee and people's homes were being flooded and those people you can watch the movie TVA, and that that old grandmother said, "I was born here. I'm going to die here." It's the waters rose, they'd bl- they'd say they were climate refugees. Uh, the waters are rising due to climate change. Nothing to do with that dam downstream. Uh, don't look <laughs> behind the curtains. It's,
1: it's those Atlanteans. <laughs> they were the they were the OG climate refugees. Or Moses is the or Noah was the OG uh, yeah. uh, climate refugee. Yeah.
2: There
1: yeah. You go.
0: Yeah, so, you know, there will be some real impacts from El Nino. You know, we are going to have some heat waves. We are going to have some drier conditions in some places, some wetter conditions in other places. But this is normal. This happens with with every El Nino. But one of the things that they're talking about this week is going on in Texas, that Texas is being stretched due to heat, and the electric grid is being stretched Mm -hmm. there. And as a result, you know, well, doom... It's just right around the corner. But what they're not telling you, and Sterling can attest to this, is that the reason that Texas has a fragile power grid is because they've, they, they've embraced the greenism. They've got a lot of wind and solar power. And the problem with that is that it doesn't work really well during heat waves. Right, Sterling?
2: Yeah, well, politicians redesigned our power grid. Uh, engineers designed one that worked, and politicians have quickly undermined their efforts by subsidizing, mandating, uh, giving tax credits to wind and solar energy, which, uh, if anyone's been in West Texas in the, in the summer, uh, where most of these, uh, wind farms are, uh, y- you find the wind doesn't blow in the middle of summer in West Texas. Um, and in, and in, in parts of the, uh, the panhandle, it's hot, dry, and not windy. Um, but, but, we've, we've made ourselves hostage to, to weather. The grid didn't used to be hostage to weather. It is now. However, I'll say this. uh, I don't think our temperatures, uh, you know, maybe we're stretching the grid right now. I've seen the warnings, but I haven't seen them on my local TV telling me to conserve yet. When, when July, when late June and July hit, when August is here, that's when you might, uh, you know, our audience should know that I'm not going to be on for the next two weeks. Well, I might not be on in the middle of July and August, but that will be due to power failures on our part uh, due to uh, Texas politicians. Um, so uh, yeah, no, it's madness. We, we had a good grid. Now we can't even keep it on all the time in the winter properly. Uh, that was never an issue uh, in, in my entire life. But, um, so, I mean, right now I'm more worried about tornadoes than the loss of, uh, than causing a loss of power than, than uh, the power grid failing because we actually, my wife and I sheltered in the bathroom last night when the sirens went off. So, ah, geez. I'm
1: I, sorry. I saw a news article yesterday and I can't remember where I saw it or what outlet it was in, but it was saying that the weather that's happening in Texas and in parts of the uh, South, right? And like central United States right now is unusual for this time of year. And all I can think is, in what way is tornado season having tornadoes unusual?
2: Yeah, no, tornado season is not unusual for this time of year. Spring and and early summer and midsummer is is the peak. Uh, June is typically the last of the rain that uh, in in Texas for a couple of months. I mean, we may get a smattering in August and, and July, but not much. And we're getting it. We're actually getting maybe an unusual amount of June rain. I've had rain every day this week in the evenings, uh, which is unusual for us, but that's keeping the temperatures down. So if it's unusual, it's unusual because it's cooler than it normally is this time of year. I've got a pool. I haven't gotten in it yet because it won't stay above uh, 70, much less 80 at night.
0: Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Are you blaming climate change for that? (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm I'm blaming the people who are restraining me from emitting CO2 to keep my, okay to keep my pool warm, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's not just Texas that uh, has a, a grid problem. Um, Federal Energy Regulatory Commissioner Mark Christie recently said that. The power grid, the national power grid, is facing dire consequences due to coal and gas retirements. As you know, the left has been out trying to shut down virtually every coal plant in the country, and they've had some pretty good success with that. Same thing with natural gas, because they're all emitting that evil CO2, which is going to destroy the planet. But see, here's the thing. After doing all of that, now we have an unstable power grid. And from my viewpoint, the effects of having these policies uh, thrust upon us without being able to vote on them, without any democracy being involved, just pure bureaucracy and alarmism and activism, causing our electric grid to become unstable—the effect is the effect from these people and their mindset is far greater than climate change would ever make on the power grid, right?
2: Well, I. I- There's an agency, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that, as far as I can tell, has no sanction in the Constitution. I've read the Constitution. Find me the word energy there and and the grant to the federal government to regulate the energy supply across the nation. I don't see it in there. Uh, But even they recognize the disaster that politicians are forcing upon the grid. Uh, So, you know, first off, I'd say, the federal government never should have been involved in, 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 in energy and certainly not electricity. And of course, for the first 70, 80 years of electricity, they weren't, uh, so many of these agencies, uh, you pick, pick your agency, EPA, 1970s. We had, we had, uh, 200 years almost of the United States without an EPA and we didn't all die. Uh, Department, <laughs> Department of it, Department of oh, Education. Wait, education. no,
0: people, people did die, just not from climate and other related issues.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow, uh, um, uh, I, I don't know what the state of climate justice was then, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure that's what 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 uh, what Johnson was talking about in the '60s when he was talking about justice was climate justice. Um, so, look, you. F- FERC has its problems, but the main problem with it, and the Department of Energy and the EPA and all these, as far as I believe, is that I've read the Constitution and I don't see the federal government being assigned that power. Those powers were left to the states or the people therein. Now I know the courts have gone along with it with a wink and a nod, uh, but they're illegitimate and they're bad, just like every other agency they've created. I can't think of a single one, not one, that was created to solve a problem, that the problem has been solved and hasn't gotten worse in some way or another. Do you think our test scores are up since they created a Department of, Enter- uh, of Education? No.
0: The, 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 yeah, no, of not course all the show, Sterling. <laughs> no,
2: no, it is. But I'm talking about any agency. Housing and Urban Development has it solved homelessness? billions poured into it and they want more all the time because they've done such a good job up till now yes
1: well, i i want to um defend FERC a little bit they tend to be a lot more on our side about the energy stuff than other you know federally adjacent groups uh i i do feel a little bad for them because a lot of their guys are reasonably um you know they are the engineers and a lot of them do know what they're trying to do Um, And they get thrown under the bus when they try to approve something. So they've been really good about approving um, like LNG export terminals and stuff. They approve this stuff. They send it back to a hostile federal government, you know, the White House, and they send it back to them and they say, no, you have to tweak this in this way. And then the White House turns around, gets on TV and they say, well, we just can't get anything through FERC. FERC won't approve anything for us. So it's their fault, really. Uh, and so these guys are like burying their heads in their desks <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to get some of this stuff done. So I don't want to be too mean to FERC specifically. They do have some crazies working over there, but a lot of them are seem to be pretty good people. Uh, and, and they have been getting more done than they should be able to considering the uh, administration that we have right now. But man... They know, they know full well that we can't keep adding uh, wind and solar on and expecting it to take up the slack from the coal and natural gas that they're trying to shut down. They know it. They know it. Um, I heard one of their commissioners said recently that uh, they expect serious rolling blackouts more and more often because of this. And they, you know, some of the guys over there are definitely frustrated with this because they know they're the ones that are going to get thrown under the bus for it.
2: Right. Well, the bureau, FERC is one of those agencies where the bureaucrats actually uh, maybe understand their job, but it's the political appointees that screw things up so badly. And now they come and go. So sometimes FERC's doing a good job. But my point is it shouldn't have a job to do. We shouldn't have regional markets that are regulated by a federal entity that tells them how they must buy and sell power across different states. States used to do it. Their power grids worked. It's only once the federal government got involved with creating regional markets that need to be regulated and having to sell electricity wholesale across state lines and then having to design where the power lines will go that everyone must agree with uh, that, that, that these problems have arisen. And that's all driven by climate change alarm.
0: Exactly. And there's another problem associated with wind and solar that hasn't really been talked about, and that's something called saturation. The problem is, is that the electrical grid was designed for significant points. Of generations such as a coal plant or a nuclear plant or a hydroelectric dam and then the points would distribute from that point outward but now what's happened is, is we've got these uh natural gas plants shutting down the coal plant shutting down and those points are no longer producing electricity but we've got these scattered bits and pieces of um you know solar and wind farms and so forth and so on Well, the grid was not designed to work that way it was not designed to have this, this hit and miss power distribution points. And so what's happening now is they're reaching power line saturation in some places. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, they can't get the power to where it's needed the most. And they're having to basically just dump it. They can't do anything with it.
2: Distributed generation is a real problem. Look, w- Texas was building wind turbines before we had power lines to ship the power. They were, they were spinning... I hate to call them spinning reserve. They were spinning waste for uh, years because we didn't have the power lines from where the wind blows to where the power was demanded. And so, uh, you know, once again, politicians uh, interfering in markets trying to, you know, the the bureaucrats said, look, if you tell us we got to have we got to have wind, we're going to have wind and And they went out there and they said, "Here's where wind makes sense. start your bidding." And then they said, "Oh gosh, how are we gonna how are we gonna get the power that you're now generating to 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 Dallas or to Austin or to Houston? Oh well, we got to have a huge expansion of the power grid uh, and we're gonna force that on we didn't tell the taxpayers we didn't tell the ratepayers they are gonna be paying for this, but now we're Ooh. gonna ladle billions I think it was nine billion dollars they ladled on rate payers after the fact because they built the wind turbines and now they wanted to, they had to distribute it. And of course, uh, you didn't mention this Anthony, but it's not as if every megawatt, kilowatt of electricity that is generated at point A arrives at point B, C or D because the longer it travels along a power line through transformers and things, the more power is lost along the way. Uh, So uh, you have to overbuild wind and solar to get the power that you anticipate, not just because they're intermittent, but because they're so far from where the power is needed.
0: Right. Yeah, the whole thing's a train wreck. And to sum it up, wind power blows. It's just that simple. Anyway, so we got some questions. We've got questions. We've got answers, hopefully. Let's see some of the questions that have come in so far. Uh, we've got has anyone noticed that every summer forecast in the u.s is warmer than average there's no cold anywhere well that's basically the narrative and no one in the in the powers that be want to talk about a cold summer because gosh that would just ruin the whole climate change thing right
1: huh. well, and well this tell, year, tell, it may well be a little warmer because of Nino and everything so I wouldn't be surprised by that this summer uh maybe further to the east but Oh well, actually, you know what? It's already been a super cold uh, start of summer at Mount Washington. That's, so, tell, yeah, tell that's that been Mount a bad Washington. time. <laughs> tell tell <laughs> yeah. that
2: to Mount Washington or uh, or uh, some other places that have been getting unusually cold weather with with snow. You know, right? Mount Washington set a record. It is now June sixteenth, but by June twelfth, they had already set the monthly record for snow at Mount Washington, New Hampshire.
1: And they're forecasted for more in the coming week.
2: That's correct. Yep.
0: And now the, the vineyards that are in the Northeast mm-hmm. are asking the federal government for relief because of disaster due to the cold and frost that they didn't anticipate happening, you know, because it's going to be warm. Climate change tells us it's going to be warm. It's going to be hot and all that stuff.
2: Vineyards yeah. and orchards both. The the fruit trees are also.
0: Right. Right. Uh I'm not sure what that question means.
2: Have his cycles in? Into-
0: okay, it's part two of this question, I guess. How many El Nino cycles have we seen in the last fifty years? Well, it's about 50-50. We are either in one or the other. Um, I did a, a climate realism piece a few months ago where we looked at the number of cycles, and there have been, you know, about t- twenty-six. Uh, La Nina cycles and 25 El Niño cycles, I remember. Not all of them are strong. Some of them are really strong. Some of them are just mild. But, you know, they go back and forth all the time. It's normal. And it's back and forth, back and forth. And depending on where it's at, depends on how the jet stream gets redirected, how much moisture gets injected into the atmosphere from the Pacific and so forth and so on. And so it's not anything new. And it's a normal process that goes on in the atmosphere.
2: It surprises me that it's uh, that they're that many in fifty years because sometimes these things hang on for more than one year. Yeah, well, I these, mean the last the last La Niña cycle that we're just coming out of lasted what three years?
0: I know, and maybe in my number about the number of years is wrong. It might be seventy-five. I think it goes maybe uh, it goes back to about nineteen fifty or whatever when they first started looking. Yes, yeah, so
2: seventy-three years. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's 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 about evenly balanced uh, in in modern history since 1950, is how I recall it. Next question. I have a Greta Thunberg mascot toy. Is it a chew toy? We got to get one of
2: those. Is it a chew toy for pets? (laughs) My dog would love a Greta chew toy.
0: yeah that's cool let's get one yeah sterling i invite you to purchase one of those and uh for the next when when you're back let's get your dog on camera and see how you like the great true
2: toy oh i guarantee i'll shake that in its face and she'll like it
1: (laughs) (laughs) if it's a stuffed animal they always like it
2: it may not Uh, last it may not last long but she'll have fun with it while it does
0: yeah, so I had to, there was that question there. Anthony, was there this much global warming hype during the 97-98 El Nino? No, not as much, because climate change wasn't the universal boogeyman back then. But I will point out that about that same time, Michael Mann came out with this infamous hockey stick. And that's when the interest really started picking up, because we had some really hot summer days in 97-98. We had some events associated with an you know, in terms of storms and so forth. And then when the hockey stick came out, the people that, you know, the low information science type people that yell, follow the science, go, aha, there it is, there's the proof. And they started rushing towards that. And the hockey stick was the catalyst for making hype happen. All right. Any prediction on the duration? I haven't seen any yet. Um, but in typical fashion, they last one or two years. That's typical. Glaciers melting in Glacier National Park. Well, yes, there's, the glaciers melt every summer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Glacier. They glaciers. had to take down that sign. Yeah, didn't glaciers.
2: They? Yeah, they did. They had to rescind the sign because they were idiots by putting it up. They were wrong. But uh, glaciers have been melting in Glacier National Park since it was declared a national park (laughs) and before. Uh, There's a lot of evidence that the glaciers were much more extensive uh, before uh, Europeans uh, got there.
1: In fact, I think, I think that a lot of the, not on the, on that side of the country, on the other side of the country, I think I've read somewhere that a lot of the uh, like boulders and stuff that are deposited in Central Park, are glacial deposits. So the glaciers were melting in New York, too, I guess. You can be concerned about that.
0: Right. So we had a question about tornadoes. Uh, Why are there no tornadoes in the Southern Hemisphere? Well, that's not exactly true. Tornadoes do, in fact, occur in the Southern Hemisphere, but they're much less than what we have in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, mainly because of the way that weather fronts happen and, and topography, geography, and so forth, the United States has about 75% of the tornadoes in the world, and a lot of it has to do with the unique geography associated with the Gulf Coast and the Midwest and Canada. We get these cold fronts that roar in from Canada uh, that meet warm air masses coming in from the Gulf Coast. We get the collision zone in the Midwest. We get wind shear that creates the spinning motion just like you know when you take your canoe paddle and you put it in the water and you make little whirlpools well that happens when we get warm and cold air sliding across each other on fronts it creates vorticity and so in the united states because of its geography we end up with the most tornadoes but they do occur in the southern hemisphere next question
2: Uh, <laughs> Someone like uh, rapid I suppose, attribution. Yeah, I suppose that uh, in fact it'll contribute to their to the sea level rise slowing, right? I mean if, if if their theory is right, it should slow because it's blocking the sun and so the the, the, the water is not heating, so we don't have thermal expansion. <laughs> uh
0: i've never heard of this one volcanism from Camus plate climatology what the hell is plate climatology <laughs> i have no idea what plate climatology is
2: and i'm not familiar with camas
0: no anyway i think you mean plate geology
2: plate Out? tectonics, or something
0: okay do we have any more questions or are we done for the day <laughs> I saw this big word out there, so who knows what that means? You know, if someone asks, when, when we're going to look into
2: when we're going to look into the Thacker Pass lithium mine, uh, that might be something worth looking into.
1: If we're putting in a lithium mine, then that sounds probably like a good thing. Yeah, know, take some of that away from China.
2: Well, I suspect that it won't be long before the EPA asks them to withdraw the permit. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, what oh, that is- that's what they did in Minnesota. That's uh, what they did in Minnesota. They're about to break ground on a nickel mine in Minnesota. Yeah. They've got all the permits, and the EPA goes to uh, um, the Army Corps of Engineers and said, "Could you withdraw that permit, please?" And they said, "Okay."
0: Yeah. So I want to point out that because of uh, the wildfires and so forth, Joe Biden has a solution to keep sea level rise from happening. He has announced that all by 2025, all wildfires must be electric powered, right? That'll solve it.
2: That'll fix it. Ugh. Well, so many of them are now, right, in California when the wires uh, fall to the ground or get knocked down by trees and start fires.
0: Um, Anyway, that wraps it up for number 67, climate change roundtable. Be sure to visit our website, climaterealism.com, climateataglance.com, where you can get facts on demand and our new energyataglance.com run by Linnea, who's got some interesting topics there about, you know, what's real and what isn't about energy. I wanna thank you both for being with us today. I wanna thank our readers and viewers for their submitted questions. And I want to thank you for joining us every week. We'll be back next week with another edition. Sterling won't be here. He's going to take a much-needed vacation See you in uh, a few for weeks. a couple of weeks. Yeah, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll have um, some guests coming up in the next couple of weeks and some new topics for you. So for the Heartland Institute, Linnea and Sterling, I'm Anthony Watts, Senior Fellow for the Heartland Institute, wishing you a good day and a great weekend.